0: It's good to be back here with you. Good news. Uh, you are a church that is alive with the Spirit. It's the only life that there is. And so I'm grateful for you, and I'm grateful for this, your presence here in the city, and I'm grateful for the work of the Lord Jesus among you. Thank you for welcoming me back. It's a pleasure to be here, even if, even if I have to cross the Hudson Ocean to get here. That's how, that's how much I desire to be here. Um, so greetings from the great state of New Jersey. We are great. Don't I'll stop. All right, Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Our Lord and King, um, We continue to praise now and worship. I pray, Lord, we have we have lifted up your name within, in, in, in song uh, because that's what the people of God do. We have confessed our sins to you and, and asked you to search our hearts because that's what you do, Holy Spirit, to lead us to Christ, Lord. And so we've given of our gifts because you you call us to be as generous and as open-hearted as you are and enable us to do, to do and be so. Lord, now I pray that we would continue to worship and honor you by listening. Lord, open up our hearts by your Spirit, Help us to see your Son, our Lord and King, and to um, be filled with your very character. Be conformed to your likeness, Lord, uh, because you have instructed us in your word, and we have believed you and followed you. Do that for us now. In the name of our Lord Jesus, in the fellowship of the Spirit, to you we pray, our Father. Amen. So... When, when you hear the word authority, what comes to mind? Right? How do you respond? Um, are you immediately suspicious, concerned, skeptical? Uh, within our society, we've been con- conditioned to kind of respond this way to the notion of authority. We have a hard time differentiating authority from authoritarianism, differ- differentiating authority from its abuse. That's a, just a difficult thing for us to, uh, to discern or to even accept. Uh, but the irony, of course, is that those who condition us to reject authority simply wish to substitute their own authority for, for those they want us to reject, whether it's family or church or, or God, or really any kind of authority. They tell us be free, but then define uh, freedom as what they believe. Um, because uh, how, how they wish society to be they, they want us to, to be that way. However, it is that they conceive a human life is for they define for us and then expect us to live accordingly. In other words, they substitute their own authority for the authority they call us to reject effectively to be honest, it's just a power play. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's substitute one form of, of power for another. In other words, we will live under authority. That's unavoidable. We'll be, we will be subject to forces and ideas that do not re- originate from us and that we did not create ourselves. There are, we, we enter into a world that exists, that subjects us and conforms us to some form of authority almost every moment we live and breathe. We are people under authority. The question is, what kind of authority will we live under? Will it be an authority that is right and good and true that that frees us and enable us to live as we were created and now redeemed to be? Or it will be a counterfeit of that, that promises good, but doesn't pay off. So our reading this morning, is in Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 uh, to chapter 9, verse 13. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds in the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tomb so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, what have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs were feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him saying, if you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the sea, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave the region. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, And he rose and went home when the crowd saw it they were afraid and they glorified god who had given such authority to men as jesus passed on from there he saw a man called matthew sitting at the tax booth and he said to him follow me and he rose and followed him and as jesus reclined at table in the ha- in the house behold many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with jesus and his disciples and when the pharisees saw this they said to his disciples why does your teacher eat With tax collectors and sinners. But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. So, Matthew's gospel presents Jesus to us, right, who he is, what he does, right, Um, and Jesus is the king who's come into the world on a rescue mission to redeem his people from their sins, to claim you as his very own. Sin is the fundamental human problem. I know that on some level it's We know that, but we don't believe it, which is why we need to keep hearing it (laughs) because we really think our problems lay elsewhere. That's just the truth, which is one of the reasons it's good to have this gathering weekly. (laughs) Because if we don't remember that, at least during the whole week, we are reminded of that reality. Sin is the fundamental problem. It's what's wrong with the world. It's what's wrong with you. It's what's wrong with me. And Jesus saves from Sin. This announcement is made immediately in chapter 1 of Matthew's gospel. Now as the one who is king Jesus comes with authority. Authority to speak and authority to act. And so after G- after presenting Jesus as king uh, who's come with authority, we read Jesus teaching over the course of a number of chapters in Matthew the teaching contained in Matthew 5 to 7 is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Be familiar with it? Here's how the Sermon on the Mount concludes. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. He was teaching them as one who had authority. Now, was it the manner of Jesus speech at which the crowds marveled, you know, he spoke with a booming voice. He was large and in charge, man. No, no, that wasn't it. It was the content of his speech. Ordinarily, when a teacher, or, or even a prophet spoke, he did not speak on his own authority. but He simply passed on what he received whether it was from another teacher or even from God himself, this is what God says, or put another way, whatever authority they had came from somebody else. But in the Sermon on the Mount. What does Jesus say repeatedly. You might know, or if you don't know i'll tell you. You have heard it said. But I say to you, I say to you, hey, buddy, who are you? I'm the one with authority. Right? But I say it is is what is. I define reality. There is no one above me or behind me validating my words. They stand simply by virtue of my saying them because I'm the one with authority. And so following the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus acting with authority and exercising authority over disease and illness. And then in our reading, we see Jesus continuing to exercise authority. We observe Jesus exercising authority in one setting after another, after another, over different aspects of reality. We see him exercising authority over the storm, over creation itself, over the spiritual realm, over sin, and over people. We are presented with four different settings where we see Jesus speaking and doing. And in each of them, Jesus' authority is disturbing or unsettling in some way. It is disruptive in some way of what people expect or what they want. And so the question for us this morning is this this is the question are you willing to accept the disturbance jesus authority brings or would you rather keep your life settled without his authority that's the question we are going to enter into that's the question i present to you on some level it is a question to take i know i'm just beginning But on some level, it's a takeaway, (laughs) because it's a question that sort of life continually presents to us. It comes at us over and over. Are you willing to accept the disturbance that Jesus' authority brings and that results from having his authority in and over your life? Or would you rather keep your lives orderly and organized the way you want them to without his authority? So let's enter in. In the first setting, uh, in Matthew 8, 23 to 27, our passage begins in verse, you know, it says this. It says, when he, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. So the disciples are following Jesus. This is what they're doing. On some level, you could say they're doing the right thing. They're in the right place. So they're in the boat with Jesus. When a huge storm comes up upon them, upon the sea, causing them to fear for their lives. And unfortunately, strangely to them, probably, you know, to us, maybe, Jesus is asleep, seemingly inattentive, not doing anything. So the disciples are disturbed by this. Lord, save us, we're dying. It says in Matthew in Mark's uh, account of this, don't you care, we're perishing. Like, Lord, what's up? Lord, we're in trouble. Don't you care? Is that not a feeling or cry, maybe that you're familiar with? You're in a situation, and maybe it's something that you've experienced in the past or something that's ongoing in your life right now, today. I can relate. We have a situation where we believe Jesus is with us, yet we are in trouble and he is seemingly asleep. Inattentive and not responsive. He's not doing anything to save us from the storm. He's not, we are crying out to him, but he's not acting, seemingly. Lord, I need you. Do something, anything. Please make it, I don't know, better or go away or change in some way, shape, or form. And it doesn't, and it doesn't go away. Lord, don't you care? Lord, are you even there? And here's what Jesus says. Why are you afraid, O oh, you of little faith? That's his response. It's not simply a pat on the head. It's, a, it's an awakening to, to see. You still don't know me. You still don't understand. Ultimately, you still don't trust me. It's not that you're upset. It's that you don't really believe that I care. You can be upset because it's an upsetting situation. But at the end of the day, underneath that upsetness is a, is you don't understand, is you're not getting me after all this time. You see the storm and its power, which is real. But you don't see me and my goodness and my power and my care in the midst of it. When you don't see Jesus as he really is, not as you imagine him or expect him to be, but as he is, all you see is the storm and you are afraid. Afraid of abandonment. Afraid of being alone. Afraid of what's ahead. Afraid there's no way out. Afraid of death. Maybe you're not even afraid anymore because you've given up. You've gone beyond fear to to despair. I'll just wait for the waves to consume me, is your Word to yourself. To address your fears and even your despair, because there's no despair too deep that He does not come into and address. Jesus focuses your attention on Him. That's the answer. Whatever fear you're in, or even if you've reached the point beyond fear to despair, Jesus says, Look at me. Look at me. Fix your eyes on me. The storm does not define reality. I define reality. And then Jesus acts 26 to 27, Matthew chapter 8. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? When Jesus acts, are they more disturbed? I mean, are they less disturbed, or are they more disturbed? In some way, they're even more troubled, right? What, what, who is this? What kind of man is this? We're no longer saying, Hey, buddy, who are you? But hey, who are you? What kind of person are you? This is someone with authority over creation. Psalm 89 verses eight to nine. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are. O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Psalm 107. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be, si- be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Who is this that the storm and the waves do what he tells them? Who is this? The authority that belongs to God is the authority that belongs to Jesus. The power that belongs to God is the power that belongs To Jesus. This is God with us, no less. He is Lord with us in the storm, exercising authority over it at all times. He is Lord with you in the storm, exercising authority over the storm at all times, both when it rages and when it stops. When the storm is raging, He is with you, exercising his authority. Do you believe that? Someone who can control the wind and the rain isn't someone whose power you can harness or manage. Can we we accept that? (laughs) You cannot control the authority of Jesus. You can only oppose it, repel it, or trust and rest in it. You cannot control the authority of Jesus. You can oppose it, repel it, doubt it, reject it, or you trust it and rest in it. But whatever you do, that doesn't change the fact that he's the one with authority and you and I are not. So if you reject his authority, that doesn't change the reality. So the call is to trust and rest in it. That's what he's doing here. Oh, you of little faith, look at me. Jesus, in his authority, allows, and you could say, bring storms into your life, so that through those storms, you would trust him and know him and rest in his authority more deeply and more truly and more hopefully. That's the purpose of the storm. That's what he does for his disciples. You're out of the other side of the storm. They, are, they marvel at him more and are more awed by him and on some level are more trusting in him than they, than they were before the storm. That's what comes out the other side of the storm when you look at him and trust him. Now we move on to Jesus encounter encountering encounter two men possessed by demons. This is the next setting. Now, a lot of the people in our society might say, what's up with the demons? You might be saying, oh, no, 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 no. I know all about the demons. I know the demons. Believe me, I'm familiar with the demons. Now it says, in First John three, right, so there's an there's there's the demonic realm, the spiritual evil realm, and there's an ultimate evil, demonic person, right? That's what demons are. There's personal evil. And that is, of course, the devil, Satan. And it says in 1 John 3 that Jesus' mission is to destroy the works of the devil. Right? That's what he came to do, is to destroy the work of spiritual opposition, spiritual harm. So so here's the thing. Most people think of, of good and evil, light and dark, the demonic and the godly as Opposing and on some level, equal powers and authorities. They, you know, they're basically sort of two equally opposing, powerful realms fighting out for supremacy. That's not what we see here in our passage. These are not two equal and opposing forces. The, the, The demons are subject to the authority of Jesus. And they cannot not be. First, they recognize him and his power. What have you to do with us? Oh, son of God, have you come to torment us before the time? Secondly, they do what he says. He says, go, and they go. The demons are looking to wreak as much havoc as they can before they face their destruction, which they know is coming. I know it's a big subject, and I'm not going to be able to unpack it here. And There's a lot of it that's difficult to understand. I just admit that before you, but I just, we have a word here and it teaches us. So we want to take from it what we can glean from it, at least in the time we have. Okay. So they want to wreak as much havoc. And the way they do that is, is, is by attacking God's image bearers. That's how they war against the Lord is they come after you and they come after me. But they are subject to the Lord's authority, who uses their evil intentions to achieve His good purposes. So Jesus drives out the demons. Friends, the, what I can say is this: there's a lot we can say about this subject, but is well beyond me and well beyond our time this morning. But the way to be free of demons is to come under the authority of Jesus. End of the day. Not simply help me out as I continue to do my thing, but command me. Own me, I'm yours, right? And so, there's a lot of distress and some of it is truly spiritual war and attack. But where Jesus reigns, he reigns. And even if he might be allowing something to take place that feels like he's not acting, he again calls you to look at him and to trust him because that's what he does to these two demon-possessed men. Now, when Jesus drives out the demons, what happens? Does the town rejoice? No. <laughs> the people are, again, terribly disturbed. His authority is disturbing. All this, The entire city comes out and they beg Jesus to leave their region. Why? Well, because of what he does, what does he do? He drives the demons out into a large herd of pigs who run down and bank in and r- right into the sea. Okay, yeah, it seems a little bit jarring. But why are they so upset? Is it because this is some sort of first century proto animal rights movement, you know, PETA before PETA, that kind of thing? No, that's not the deal. What are the pigs? The pigs are their, their wealth. That's their economy—that's their, that's that's their, their produce. You know, that's their stuff that they li- that they live on. So here we have Jesus, the King, with authority, who is mighty to save, freeing two men who were under demonic control and oppression, and themselves out of control. The captives have been set free. The kingdom of God is on the move, but it's too costly it's too disruptive to the lives of those in the community. This is, again, this is the economy we're talking about. This is not a small thing. So they prefer to keep their lives the way they are, even with demons and with oppression, as long as there is, you know, the way they live and what they count on isn't disrupted. isn't isn't harmed. Just leave, man. We want things to go back the way they were. We don't like what you've done effectively. Can you relate? Can you relate to the desire to keep a safe, ordered, comfortable life? Maybe you're happy to keep Jesus alive around as long as your life is in order, as long as it's in the way that you have planned expected to be and you've invested a lot in that order. Maybe you maybe it's just what if the presence of his of his freedom, his authority is simply too disruptive to your life. Now, maybe some of you are saying that's not where I'm at, man. <laughs> I have nothing to hold on to. I have no pigs to lose. I hear you, but you know what? Often the things that make us miserable are the things that keep us from Jesus. We, we, on some level, we are comfortable in our misery or whatever situation that we find ourselves settled into. Even that, we don't, we don't want it to be disturbed in the way that Jesus would disturb it, and we'd rather hold on to what that is than, than have Him. Friends, but for a lot of you, I don't, you know, wherever you're at, maybe that's not where you're at. You're at Your life is good. It's, 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 it's going the way you want it to be. Friends, don't sell your soul for anything, not for any price. He's the treasure, he's the valuable one, not the pigs. I know to us, pigs are not attractive, but, but again, this was their treasure. This was their economy. This is what they counted on. This was their investment. So think of it in that way. What do you have, what do you count on? What's your investment? What's your treasure? What do you value? What is it that you order your life around? He's the treasure, not the high, not the sex, not the buzz and not the money or the achievement or the comfort or the entertainment or anything else all any anything else we sang it already there's nothing better than you anything else is a counterfeit treasure what we must say is lord jesus please we beg you to stay and do whatever you need to do if and if it means that what i value possibly more than you gets go down a, a steep hill and drown in the sea, then please do whatever you need to do. Because I don't want to live under the authority of the kingdom that opposes you. There are only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, or the kingdoms of this world ruled By the one who is the enemy of our souls. Lord Jesus, please stay and do whatever you need to do in your authority. Say, go, stay, go. (laughs) Drive them out and say to me, go, and I'll go. Whatever you need to do. So let's continue to follow him then as he brings another disturbance, a group of friends bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus now we're in chapter nine so he can heal him okay Jesus do your thing man we know you're the healer you're it we love our friend help him out Jesus says take heart my son your sins are forgiven and that's not what his friends brought him for and that's not what we would bring ourselves or someone else in that condition for now, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they're disturbed. But it's for a different reason, right? They're offended because Jesus has the authority to declare the man's sins are forgiven. Who, do, who, would, like, who does he think he is? Who are you to declare somebody's sins forgiven? Only God has the authority to forgive sins, man. In other words, you are claiming for yourself but only God has the right to claim. How does Jesus respond? He says to them, you think these are just words coming out of my mouth without authority? I guess anyone can mouth the words, your sins are forgiven. I, you're right, maybe, sort of. Okay. But can anyone but God himself take a paralyzed person and with a word cause him to walk? Who can do that? Whose word has the power to take what is dead and bring it to life? Whose word has the power to take what is dead in you and bring it to life? Jesus says to the paralyzed man, rise. And he rises. That you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Do you know that? Now the man is brought by his... Friends, for his the temporary healing of his body, and that's a good and loving thing to do. It's never not a good thing to do. For sick, we want healing. If our friends are sick, we want them to be healed. Take to a doctor, what have you. But first, Jesus eternally heals his soul, because that's the one thing that can the one thing that can destroy you and me forever. Is a sin sick soul. But if your soul is healed when your sins are forgiven, then ultimately all of you is healed forever in the timing and the authority and the wisdom of God. On some level, all of our healing now is temporal. (laughs) But if your sins are forgiven, then you are healed, and it will be well with you bodily and physically. I mean, spiritually and physically forever. And one day when Jesus restores, returns, you will have a glorified, indestructible resurrection body, no matter its condition today. Because sin is the thing that brings about all of the, that wreaks all of the havoc. One day, when you see him face to face and rejoice in him, that is ultimately everyone's need. Friends, do you believe that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive your sins? How deep are your sins? Secret sins, the ones that nobody knows about, the ones that weigh you down. Do you believe that? On some level, you know the answer to that is by whether or not you get up off your mat when he calls you or if you just lay there paralyzed by your sins. And he says to you, get up, listen to him. So I had a cousin named John Hanna. John was, yes, yeah, so yes, he's John Hannah, I'm John Hannah. We were really close. He was two years younger than me. Um, and John was a heroin addict for 10 years. He spent time on the street, he spent time in jail, jail. I was a lawyer. I represented him a couple of times Did for more confusion for everybody. Um, the lawyer's name is John Hanna, the guy's name is John Hanna. But anyway, um, and he tried everything to get clean. But the thing was Don, John didn't just want to get clean. He, he, that wasn't what he was looking for. It wasn't even what drove his addiction, I don't think. <laughs> He wouldn't settle for that. He wanted life. He wanted truth. He wanted God. He was desperate for God. And one day he came to me and he said, Jesus is real and I believe in him. And that changed everything. It was, it was, John was a very extreme personality. Whatever he did, he did it with all of his heart. He was one of those people he either did like, would like do no exercise and sit on the couch all there, he would do 500 push ups and run 10 miles. That was just the way he was. And so this very extremely sort of z- person with this strong personality, that was brought under the power and the authority of the Lord. And it was like watching a miracle. It was like, we were all like dazzled. We were like, amazed to watch this man this young man come under just follow jesus and like be an evangelist and 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 just go out and just and live with with you know with with a zeal for the lord <laughs> um, and he didn't forget those whom he knew he went back for them he went back to the streets he went back to uh, the homeless he went back to be addicted to the poor and and he went back to school and got his degree and and then john john died from injuries from a car accident at the age of 34 um, and it was 5 years I, one of the things that i thought was, you know obviously this was so we were just was it was one of the most tragic events of my whole life by far one of the things I thought, I guess he like in five years, he'd done maybe what somebody else would do in a lifetime. Sort of it did his work. I don't know. Uh, but in the last six months of his life, he was an assistant pastor at a at a non-denominational church in New Jersey. And one of the, the, the pastor he worked under loved to tell this story. So he and John went to visit this guy who was just whose mind and body were wrecked by his heroin addiction. So they go to him and he's just lying. And he says, I'm not getting up. I have no ability to get up. I have no desire to get up. I'm just going to stay and lay here. And then John gets in the bed and lays next to him. And he says, I'm not getting up out of this bed until you and I get up out of this bed together. And the reason he did that is because that's what Jesus did for him. He, he, Jesus came and entered down into the depths of hell in which he was living and died and bore his sin and bore his slavery and bore it all and rose up and raised him up with him. Your sins are forgiven. I say to you, rise, get up, and walk. Friends, do you hear him? He has that kind of power. He has that kind of authority. And when you let him in, and if you do, then you will do, if you actually do that, if you hear his voice and heed his call and accept his authority over every part of you, then you will do what Matthew does in this, in our passage. What does Matthew do? Jesus says to him, follow me. Really? Me? I, I can follow you. You want you want to be with it's it's like the highest privilege that we can have in the, in the whole universe. Jesus says, You be with me. And I, I can be with you really? I can come just like the now, like the way I am. Yeah, you come with me. What does Matthew do? He throws a party at his house and tells all his friends to come. Listen, you can come to see him too. You can come know him too. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, he has a big party and invites all the tax collectors, all the sinners, right? Everybody he knows, like it's a big shindig, man. It's a out. It's a rocking party because Jesus is here. And you can come and know him, follow him, and his have his authority over every part of your life. It's worth the disturbance, is it not Is he worth the disturbance? Allow him to disturb your life so that you can be free to live under his freeing, forgiving, demon-slaying, storm-stilling power and authority. There is Jesus. Authority is not a bad thing, friends. It's the authority of Jesus. It's the best thing in the world let's pray. Our Father and our God. Thank you for sending your son, Lord Jesus. We believe help our unbelief. You're here this morning because we know. I pray that we would know more truly. I pray that you would help us to give over those parts of our lives where we are holding on to our own authority, somebody else's, and to surrender them to you, Lord. Lord, help us to trust you in the middle of the storm that you are with us, and to see you, to look at you, to hear you your saying to us, look at me. <laughs> Strengthen our faith. Free us, Lord. For those of us who are oppressed, enslaved, Lord, set us free by your word. And Lord Jesus, thank you for bearing our sins. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for the healing of all diseases. Thank you for inviting us to follow you. Thank you that you came, not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Thank you that you came. We love you because you first loved us. Amen.